Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. I'm Pat Nevin. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another one of our season previews, 1920 Premier League season. And we have gone down the list and we have found another team in London that we should be talking to ahead of the upcoming season. Nick, we're going to preview Spurs here in just a moment, but how excited are you to pull off this podcast? I, I am excited. And, you know, I share very little uh, with our guests in terms of rooting interests, but I know. Uh, that we do root against the same team. So I'm very excited to potentially get a little bit of, of Arsenal jabbing in along the way. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, it's all about finding the enemy of the enemy to have then a friend. And so at least enemy of an enemy of Arsenal uh, is a friend of ours, uh, Andrew Gundling, who uh, is part of the Caught Offside podcast uh, on ESPN. Andrew, welcome to the show. We promise this will be a safe space for all of us tonight. I do not. I do not promise that. Well, it's good to be here. I know this is uh, this is dangerous territory. A, a Tottenham fan heading into a, a Chelsea podcast, and you guys were mentioning Arsenal before. And I sometimes say, with the whole like all of the London rivalries. So yes, I do hate Arsenal, but sometimes I feel like I hate them because it's just like what you're supposed to do. But in terms of like the team that actually gives me more angst, I sometimes think it's it's you guys Ooh. over Arsenal, just because I feel like, and you can tell me if you feel similarly, but I, I sometimes feel like Tottenham and Chelsea meet in just some more high profile moments. Like I feel like there's been, you know, whether it's like League Cup finals or FA Cup semifinals or just, I, I don't know, I feel like there's just been like bigger, bigger moments that our teams meet in. And it just, I feel like you've just given me more angst over the years than Arsenal has. I, I think that's probably, I, I don't know, Dan, I think over the last like five years or so, that's, that's definitely true because Arsenal has kind of fallen off a little bit, but we were unfortunately there a couple uh, seasons ago. As Antonio oh, bad memories, seasons, bad memories. And, yeah. And uh, we, we saw, the first time you guys beat us at Stanford Bridge in 28 years um, in person, so that wasn't good. Uh, 
But yeah, it's it's kind of a it's become a uh, I think a fun rivalry again for a lot of you know like we we talk to a lot of our our friends across the pond who have been going for you know 20 30 years Andrew and you know it used to you know this used to really heat up a lot more in the in the 70s and 80s and then it kind of dropped off and I feel like it's kind of picked up again do you get that sense Oh yeah I really do um and yeah I mean it's like a far cry I'm sure from the hooliganism days of of the 80s um but you know it helps I think it helps a little bit that you know Tottenham were not irrelevant, but Tottenham were just kind of uninteresting for such a long period of time. And now that you've got, for the first time, really like on a consistent basis, for the first time in a while, you have both both of these clubs on pretty equal footing. Uh, I think that would ha- that's got to help in terms of just like ratcheting up the intensity of the rivalry. I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. Well, we will get into all of that. We're gonna take a look at last season, how you felt it ended. Maybe talk about some. Really impressive arrivals, which is a very rare thing for Tottenham. Usually don't like to break the bank, but they kind of made a big signing this summer. I'll talk about also who's left a Chelsea hero, Kevin Trippier. And then we'll get (laughs) your opinion on what you kind of see looking across London at Chelsea from a, a Spurs supporter's perspective. And then we'll wrap it all up with projecting the season ahead. So let's jump in. Last season, scale of 1 to 10. How did you feel about it, Andrew? I think it has to be, I think it has to be a nine, um, because it's kind of a mixture. I mean, if you look at Tottenham season, it really is like it, it truly is the tale of two seasons within the scope of one season. Um, just because their, I would say their league campaign overall was not. I don't know many Tottenham fans that look at it and in hindsight think that it was an overwhelming success. I think the fact that they qualified for the Champions League for another season, obviously was successful for them but the fact that it was it was seemingly a step back from where they had been in previous seasons so i think you have to look at that as one element of their season but then just just what they did in europe just like the unprecedented nature of it just how much fun it was to be a tottenham supporter during that entire run um i think that just kind of blows out of the water anything negative that really happened uh, elsewhere in the in the campaign. So I think while I can't give it a perfect 10 just because, like I said, the league campaign, which is the majority of the season, like I, I, it was just not quite up to where Tottenham fans wanted it to be. I think the Champions League campaign brings it up to a 9. A 9? A 9, for at least Chelsea standards, a 9 is like you've, you've won the league and, and you didn't win the FA Cup, and that was like... Semi disappointing, but you know we did our we did our thing in one league. You you guys didn't win a trophy. How how is it a nine? Give me tell me about this nine. Give help 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 me out. Yeah. So when was the last time Tottenham were in a, a Champions League final? I'm just wondering, or a European Cup final, or like you have to understand. You say by Chelsea standards, and like while I like fully hear the condescending nature of that comment. No, not me. <laughs> but like like. It is. I, I hate to say it. I don't want to be overly self-deprecating about the club that I support. But look, this is like by Chelsea standards and by Tottenham standards right now. If this place and time are, they're two different things. They just are. And you're right. Like Chelsea have won league titles. You guys have won a Champions League final in recent memory. You've won cups. That is not us. Like we're in the midst of this great period in in Tottenham history. But like, you know, there's we're just not we haven't viewed ourselves as a club on that level. And so for Tottenham to, you know, go into Manchester city, you know, to beat Borussia Dortmund when they were flying and atop the Bundesliga, you know, to then come back against Ajax the way that they did, even to go, if you go all the way back to the group stage to go into Barcelona, needing a result and getting it in the 86th minute. Like, I I think these are things that just don't happen to Tottenham. I'll take you back one year ago. Tottenham are in the Champions League and they've got they're they're facing Juventus in the round of 16 and you know it, it looks like they're going to go on and they're going to do it and then Juventus get those two quick goals in the second half and it falls apart and I remember something that uh, Giorgio Chiellini said afterwards he was talking about you know he said the history of the Tottenham he kept saying that the history of the Tottenham you know we always believe that they will fall apart and he goes on and on about how Tottenham's history leads them to believe that they will fall apart and Juventus's history 
you know, will push them through. It's just the nature of how things go with these two clubs. That is where the Tottenham supporters are coming from. Like, so yeah, I, I give it a nine. And like, I was dangerously close to just going full 10 on you with getting, because <laughs> that's just like, this, this is just not a thing that happens to us. And hopefully a moment like this, like getting the, the VAR decision against city, getting three goals in the second half against Ajax, things that don't typically happen to Tottenham, you know, hopefully it's kind of like reversing the course of Spursiness. Um, but until I actually see that, like right now, our standards are just a little bit, they're just different than Look. than you guys, than Man City, than Liverpool, than United. So for us, this was, this is a season that I'll remember the rest of my life. I'll tell my kids about this. Like this is, this was unbelievable. Quick follow. Uh, so you, you just mentioned the, uh, the word that we, you know, have only just occasionally used on our show, which is Spursiness. Um, so uh, spursiness is a, a mental thing, right? It's not a physical thing. It's a mental thing. It's, it signifies, at least in my mind, a mentality that doesn't quite finish the job or, you know, collapses in a key moment. Do you, how, like serious question, I know you're not a psychologist or anything, but how, how does a team that is so close and believe me when I tell you, I don't love to tell you this. I think you guys outplayed Liverpool for large stretches in the Champions League final. How how do you guys overcome that mentality thing and and actually push towards the you know the one hand on the on the trophy being two hands? So in my mind, they see. I believe that they have pushed through it. I know that that rings hollow because they haven't won a trophy, but you know just. Again, like talking about different standards for different clubs, for Tottenham to be qualifying for the Champions League as regularly as they are without really making, you know, landmark signings. Now, I know we'll get to what they're doing in this transfer window, but like for this to all have kind of been developed from within, I think Pochettino, more so than anything, has come in. And while he's instilled, you know, a certain style of play that really like resonates with what Tottenham fans want to see from their club. I think more than that, he's instilled just a different mindset of what the fan base expects from this club. And so, you know, when you see them not only qualifying consistently for Champions League campaigns, but, you know, last year beating Real Madrid, like going to the Bernabeu, getting a draw, and then coming back to Wembley, which isn't even their home, and dominating Real Madrid. Like this season, like I said, getting to a Champions League final, um, you know, I, I know they couldn't do it. We couldn't beat you guys in the league a couple years ago or Leicester before that. But like Pochettino taking Tottenham on these runs to contend for league titles, things that just like as a Tottenham fan five, ten years ago were just kind of like distant, far off fantasies that you didn't even really like. That's not a thing that happens to us. We don't compete for league titles right now. Like, that's not who we are. So I really think, it, again, fans of other clubs won't see it that way because Things are kind of viewed in black and white. Have they won a trophy? No. All right. Well, then they're still Spursy. I just don't see it that way. This team has just kind of like crossed barriers that I didn't think they were capable of crossing. So for me, the whole moniker of Spursy, I get it. And I I know it's not going to be an easy moniker for them to lose, but I don't really, I I feel like they've kind of broken through for me. It's it's interesting because when, you know, I take a look back at the season and saw the rise in the Champions League and some of the impressive results there. I also had to counterbalance it with, and you mentioned this, the league form. You look at game weeks 27 forward where Tottenham, you know, really at one point were, you know, pretty much had the handle on third place and didn't really have to worry about anybody else. But after that is when this loss, losing to Burnley, losing to Chelsea, losing to Southampton, losing to Bournemouth, you know, drawing against Arsenal and Everton. Like, how do you think about that in kind of the whole rooting interest of being a Spurs supporter right now, where you're looking at these uh, hills and valleys of how the team plays. Cause you, you talk about the mentality shift, but I also see that like there are periods where there's just a funk and the team doesn't have a good ability sometimes to break themselves out of it. Uh, yeah, that is definitely true. Look, I don't want to put it. I mean, look, some of it, some of it last year, I think with what happened to them late in the season, was maybe a little bit twofold. Uh, maybe it's possible that they became single-minded in, oh my God, look what we're doing in the Champions League, and it kind of it kind of became difficult for them to like avert their focus from that back to some of these league games. Um, and I think some of it too, and I don't mean for this to come across as an excuse, but like sometimes there's excuses and sometimes there's reasons. And I and I, I honestly think that 
injuries were a reason for some of what happened late in the season. I mean, you know, you're asking Fernando Llorente to come in and play like meaningful minutes in big games late in the league. And okay, in the Champions League, he can pop up here and there and get a big goal. But like consistently, week in, week out, he's it's not good enough. So I think some of I think some of their problems late in the season uh, in terms of the league campaign was it was kind of a product of the lack of activity in the summer transfer window and in the January transfer window. Because, I mean, you guys know, because, you know, you, you're a team that prides itself you, most years, I would say, on having some sort of depth. And Tottenham, uh, they, they kind of had it, but not enough. I mean, not enough to, like, really go full throttle in Europe and in the league. So I think they were lucky that their sputter at the end of the season just totally coincided with multiple other sputters. But you're right. I mean, that was, it's hard to entirely look past that. There were a lot of ugly one nils, even some of their wins, like their game against Brighton late in the season. It was just like, it was a bad game where Brighton probably deserved at least uh, to have come out of there with a point. So, you know, it was, you can't look past that. It's true. And, uh, I think some of that was was the transfer inactivity for sure. So is is that maybe you know we kind of I've been asking every supporter who's come on their biggest regret of last season. Do you think Tottenham number one signing away or a, an extra squad player away from potentially winning either the Champions League or finding you know success in either of the domestic cups? Like do you, do you think that it was so close last season and are you a little worried about that heading into next year? Um, well, I don't. That would be that would be wrong of me to say that they were one signing away from winning the Champions League. Now I know they did. They played. Well, I was going to say they played well against Liverpool. I actually don't even think they did. I think it was just kind of a battle of who could play worse. Both teams were just not themselves in that game, and, and Tottenham certainly could have won it, which makes it frustrating. If you know if a referee decision goes differently in the first minute, or who knows. But I think that's a little bit unfair to Liverpool. Um, just because of how great I actually do think that they are. Um, so who knows, maybe that would have made some kind of difference if they had someone else, but they were largely healthy in that game. You can say what you want about Harry Kane, but he, he gave him the full 90. Uh, so, you know, he, he did his, he did play, um, in terms of the league, would would signings have changed things last year? I mean, Tottenham finished 26 points out of sure. second. So honestly, no, like, no, it wouldn't have. Uh, maybe, who knows, maybe against you guys um, in, what was that, the Carabao Cup that went to penalty kicks. Uh, maybe. I enjoyed that shootout. That shootout was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Fig- like the, the one competition where away goals roll doesn't matter. I mean, come on. Like, it's like, what kind of nonsense is that? But, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know last year if there was going to be one singular move that would have made all that much of a difference for Tottenham and where they finished. Also really quick. I think it's unfair that triple nutmegs don't count for three. So (laughs) (laughs) yes, Uh, my petition is in the mail to the FA and uh, we'll see what they do with that. that. VAR this year, triple nutmegs next year. We could try to make it happen, but let's change the focus from last year's done. Last year's dusted. We've gotten all that out of our systems. Now the excitement of departures potentially if you don't like them or sad to see some players go and obviously a few who left this uh this window any sad feelings to see Trippier or you know Janssen leave at all or you kind of (laughs) uh well Janssen no I mean I don't mean to be like a jerk about it but he was just so he was just so inconsequential like they so badly needed help at that position last year when Kane got hurt and they were just like dying for depth and he just like he's just can't he's just incapable of really helping so no no I won't really miss him um Trippier is a weird one I don't like if Tottenham really want to like be a club that consistently contends for whether it be getting back to a Champions League final or pushing on to challenge Liverpool or Man City for a league, then Kieran Trippier is probably not good enough to be your game in, game out, starting right back. Um, and like, you know, part of me feels bad saying that because when they signed him, my expectations for him were really low. Uh, and I think whether it's, you know, his hard work or Pochettino kind of just like doing his thing and getting a, a player to buy in, um, he really did become more than just a serviceable player for them. But 
I don't know if he just if there was some sort of burnout uh, once you know him making the England squad, getting to the semifinals of that World Cup, going off with an injury late in that game. He just didn't seem like he was ever the same after that. Um, he you know he can still play in a great cross, he can still play in a great free kick, but uh, defensively he's just not he just isn't sharp enough. And uh, so am I sorry to see him go? Not not really, but that's also not necessarily to say that I won't miss him if some of that kind of like makes sense in a weird way yeah that makes a ton of sense but i think if we kind of look back even at the entirety of the squad is there anyone that you thought would leave this summer who's still with the squad <laughs> absolutely that's the thing that i can't believe more than anything and i'm sure you guys will bring up their signing of Ndombele, but even more surprising to me than the fact that they actually went out and signed somebody is i mean i thought aldevereld and erickson were good as gone now, I mean, we're sitting here talking on, what is it, July 26th, um, so there is still time, and it's possible that by the time the transfer window closes, one or both of those guys will be gone, but the fact that um, Aldevarel's window came and went for his release clause, which was only $25 million, and for, for no one to have bid on that, I mean, we just saw Harry Maguire go for three times that price, and I know Harry Maguire's 26, but... Alderweireld's thirty. Like he's not a dinosaur. He's still kind of for a center half. He's still kind of within the parameters of his prime. He could still be a high level center half for the next couple of years. So, yeah, that that really surprised me because he's somebody for the past couple seasons I thought would be leaving. Um, and then with Erickson, you know, he's a weird one because I don't know. He, he said he wanted he was ready to move on. He wanted to go to Real Madrid and. It's kind of like he, he had to come back to Spurs with sort of his tail between his legs because Real Madrid just had no interest. And once they took Aiden Hazard from you guys, then Erickson is just kind of left out in the cold. And so he kind of has to, like, George Michael Bluth style, put his head down and <laughs> vote back to Tottenham. Um, but I don't know that it's mopey necessarily. Maybe I shouldn't use that word because he did say, you know, I would like to try something new, but that's not to say I... I and upset if I wind up staying with Tottenham. So I guess he, he fits back in, but yeah, once he said he wanted out and Alderweireld has been pretty clear about that for two years, I thought those guys were gone. Uh, so that's, that's really surprising to me. So, you know, it, it's still possible that you, you have a couple departures, but you have, you know, for the first time in what, at least 18 months have brought in talent to the squad. So, Talk to us a little bit about Indumbele and then and then a couple of the other um, kind of lower profile signings. Yeah, Tottenham's last signing was Lucas Mora. Like that's oh. uh, that's crazy. That's like, so it feels like such a long time ago because it was. But um, yeah, Indumbele. I think so. I loved um, I loved Musa Dembele when he was with Tottenham. He's probably one of my my all time favorite Tottenham players, and I think just from like the bits and pieces that I kind of am picking up about what Tenge and Dembele will bring, it feels like it could be that only better, um, which is, I would think, a scary prospect for some of Tottenham's rivals and a great prospect for Tottenham fans. Um, he seems like a fairly complete player, a box-to-box player. Um, you know, In the little bits I've seen of him in the preseason, I'm encouraged by what I've seen so far, and he's still so young. I think, what is he, 22 years old? Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I thought that signing for them, and in terms of what we expect from them in transfer windows, for them it's a home run. Uh, he was Pochettino's top target, and for Levy to back Pochettino and go out and do what he needs to do to get it done, I think it not only does it help the squad, but I think it kind of is like sort of a little pat on the back for Pochettino, where all of these managerial openings that have happened over the years um, – you know, at Real Madrid or at Manchester United or PSG, like Pochettino has never really flirted with that, despite the fact that all of those clubs have always expressed some kind of interest in him. So I think it means a lot that Pochettino asked for a guy of that caliber and Levy went out and delivered for him. So, yeah, I think that's, I think it's huge. Uh, and I'm curious to see, I mean, there's Tottenham are still like, there's still a part of so many marquee rumors like, you know, Dybala, uh, for 80 million. I mean, like I, I have to like blink and like give a double take at the computer screen every time I look at like Tottenham being involved in transfer rumors of that caliber. So I don't know, maybe there's, there's still more work to be done. If this is all they come away with in this window. Um, I mean, granted it's not a ton, 
and their other signing, uh, Jack Clark, was loaned out. Uh, so this is really this is really their only signing of significance. Um, but if this is all they do, it's it's still it's still pretty good, I would say. Yeah, you know, one of the things you brought up though earlier is we talked about the depth. You know, so do you think there's enough that's been done if it's just Ndombele? that will carry the team forward or would you worry about some regression because you know those other play you know some of those other players that you're talking about maybe an explosive attacker in Dybala have not come in which would be like that monumental shift to try and catch up to that 26 point gap between Tottenham and top of the league yeah I guess it depends what you would consider regression to be so if regression like if regression is taking a step backward and the gap furthering from where it was, I don't think that will happen. I genuinely think the combination of uh, Ndombele coming in and no one of significance other than Trippier going out, um, and this not being a World Cup summer where you lose so many key Tottenham players to England, Ericsson to Denmark, you know, Vertonghen and Alderweireld to Belgium, you know, all of their best players are, are going deep into a World Cup. So I think like everyone should be coming in healthy. So I, I think that like I don't I do not envision a regression. Uh, that would really really surprise me. But in terms of the gap, I mean, look, if this is it, like if, if we're looking at this Tottenham squad right now, I think yeah, we're looking at fun season. You know, another good season in Europe. Maybe they who knows? Maybe they do find a way to to pull off a uh, a domestic trophy. But if we're talking about the league, no, they're still they're not Liverpool. They're not Man City. I mean, a lot for Liverpool and Manchester City would have to go horribly wrong for that kind of gap to to be made up. Or Tottenham would just have to shock people and, you know, find ways to win games that maybe they weren't winning last season. But no, right now, as presently constituted, they're not. That gap has not been closed by that much. No. Well, that... Uh should not inspire a ton of confidence that uh, we're going to see anyone other than Liverpool or City win the league this season. So <laughs> uh, it feels like you're you're going into, a, you know, it's like the person who spoils the movie for you. Like, so my young, one of my younger sisters spoiled the sixth sense to me before I watched it going in. And like you... Now- did she know or did she, or was she just guessing? Was she like, Oh no, oh, no. no, she knew she had been told, uh, by someone. And so I was going to see it like on a Friday night, you know, with some friends. And then when you go to see it, you're watching it with this knowledge of, Oh, this is going to happen. Or, Oh, this is why this is happening. And that's how I feel like we're walking into this premier league season that we already know there's an ending in place where, you know, Liverpool or City win the league, hopefully City, because Liverpool winning the league after winning the Champions League would just be absolutely god awful and we could not have that happen. I know. They're insufferable. <laughs> and I, I mean I work with like my co host who you guys talked to the other night is JJ Devaney. Like awesome guy, he's one of my closest friends. But like I had said during the Champions League, uh, as it was all kind of unfolding, I still I think it was either in the I think it was in the um the quarterfinal stage when I started to see how things were shaping up and Tottenham had a one nil lead over Manchester city. And I'm starting to think, Oh my God, like we could actually make a, a, an actual run here. And then I see Liverpool on the other side. And I kept saying like, this is my nightmare like that, that, uh, that cannot happen. I would almost rather lose before that stage than have to face them in the, in the final. Cause I knew how it was going to go. They own us and I have to work with him on a week in week out basis. Um, now, I didn't know how it was going to unfold and I wouldn't trade it with how it wound up playing out. But I mean, they are, they are tough. There are so many, I mean, I'm sure you guys run into this also cause you're in America. Like there are just so many of them in this country. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. There are more than a few and the amount of Liverpool shirts I, I saw after the champions league final, it just felt uh, like they, yes. it felt like they had been hiding and they just magically found a way to bring themselves back into a reality. Yeah, they, it was. They were the people uh, who got snapped by Thanos. They all just magically reappeared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was watching. Uh, it was late in the season when NBC. I forget which week it was. Might have been the last week of the season. But when NBC did their like special pregame show from outside of Fenway Park, and I remember just like just rolling my eyes constantly. Um, <laughs> I, actually, no, I think it was when Tottenham played Liverpool. And the crazy Alderweireld own goal when Hugo Hugo Lloris like lost sight of reality in the final moments. And I remember watching it, just thinking like, this is not NBC is not doing 
a pre and post game show. This is a Liverpool pep rally. Like I, yeah. this is not for me. Like this is for Liverpool fans. I'm going to just change the channel now and walk away. Yes. Well, speaking of of not Liverpool, uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about Chelsea a little bit. So we're always interested to hear uh, you know kind of opposition opinion on on kind of the club. So. Um, any major thoughts? I mean, specifically, we're going to start with Lampard. Any any thoughts on his appointment as manager? Really risky. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean bad, and it doesn't necessarily mean that like it, it won't succeed. But like Chelsea are entering kind of a kind of a bit of a crossroads period here, whether it be because Eden Hazard is leaving or be because of the transfer ban. Um, like this could be this season could lead to some rough waters for them and to bring in a manager with such little experience um, who hasn't really had to navigate those kinds of rough waters before that's that's a risk to me Um, and especially a club legend now I'm not saying if things go badly it'll necessarily like change the way Chelsea fans feel about him although you guys would certainly be more qualified to talk about that than I am Uh, maybe because maybe it would I don't know like that's that's just a dangerous I don't know that's a dangerous thing to me entering like a, a potentially difficult season with a manager who's just not loaded with experience yeah I don't think it would change our mind or our opinion on Frank Lampard I think it would be disappointing to have it happen that way and have it unfold but I don't think any fan any true supporter who's grown up with this i think maybe if someone just started following because of christian pulisic they might get a little disappointed but hopefully through our podcast and through our friends who do other chelsea podcasts that we've indoctrinated them just enough to prevent any type of concern or you know ill feelings toward lampard but i I, i'm less concerned about that i think you know where the challenge is really the players who will step up to replace a little bit more of what Eden Hazard's production was last season. And, you know, I think one of those who's being asked to do some of that, maybe unrightfully so, uh, I think the three of us might agree, is Christian Pulisic. How do you feel about Pulisic going to Chelsea, and how do you think his first season's going to go? Well, I think, I mean, you know, first and foremost, I'm I'm an American fan, and so I think the world of him... um, and I think some of what we saw this past summer with the Gold Cup, even though it didn't necessarily end the way we wanted it to, I do think that Christian Pulisic in his first major tournament for the U.S., I think he did validate a lot of those feelings that American soccer fans have about him. I mean, you can just tell, like, he's different than the other guys on that American team. So, you know, I, I do think that he's legit. Now, what I don't think is that he's a like-for-like sub essentially for Eden Hazard because whatever I think of Christian Pulisic uh he is not Eden Hazard um and so if he's if that's like what he's going to be asked to be um then that's that's just I, I would say that that's not fair to him I think that's asking too much of him that's asking too much of really anyone um so yeah he's obviously going to have to play a huge role for them uh, and he's going to have to do some of the things in terms of playmaking uh, and just like speed around the edge, you know, things like that, that maybe Hazard could do for you. Uh, but it can't be just him. There has to be just like a, a real team ethic in terms of multiple guys uh, in attack positions, kind of raising their game a notch or two to try to make up for the loss of Hazard. Yeah, I think that's one of the areas that we're we're closely paying attention to and uh, kind of brings up our next point because you're, you're talking about kind of a, a teamwork ethic and, you know, a bunch of, you know, a, a bunch of youth players kind of getting integrated into the system. Are there any, you know, whether it's Mason Mount or Tammy Abraham or any of these kind of young guys who have been highly touted uh, in Chelsea's system for a long time, are, are you paying any particular attention um, to any of these guys to see how they perform this year? Well, I definitely was with Callum Hudson-Odoi until his injury happened. And I don't know necessarily, again, you guys would probably know better than me, when he's expected to be back. Um, but that, that to me was such a bummer. Um, and like I was kind of of the assumption that he wasn't going to be leaving, that he was going to stay there. And with that transfer ban looming, I was of the assumption that he was going to be pretty important uh, to what Chelsea were going to do this coming season. So 
you know, if I were a Chelsea supporter, that would probably, that would have really bummed me out. Um, you know, but aside from him, I mean, so with him moving out of the picture now, at least temporarily, I don't know what that means for like a Tammy Abraham. Um, if he's kind of asked to sort of now fill that void, um, I don't really know in terms of some of their other young players. I like Chelsea's young players, to be honest. Like, I think, you know, another player who got hurt, but like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think is, is promising when healthy. Um, Mason Mount, I probably don't know quite as much about just yet. Uh, but he also in the midfield seems again, promising. Chelsea has always done, it seems like a fairly decent job of, raising young talent it's just a matter of whether or not they actually want to give that talent a chance to succeed at their own club which i think now again not to keep harping on the transfer ban but that's that's kind of an important aspect of where you guys are right now um i think some of these guys may be called upon to do it for chelsea sooner than they might have expected yeah you know we decided to take a year off from signing players it's a really bold strategy and uh, we will see how it pans out for us um yeah i think we're hoping that uh, you know Spurs supporters or supporters of every club walk away at the end of the season knowing players like Mason Mount for a really positive reason, uh, positive for us, negative for them. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's a little bit of a gamble. We obviously have Ruben coming back off of an injury. We have Callum coming back off of an injury. How quickly can they get up to speed? Players who started a maximum number of games last season, like Antonio Rudiger, who's out on an injury and doesn't look like he's going to start the season healthy. Ngolo Conte had to go back from Japan early to get rehab on his knee, and he thankfully is back in the training photos as of just today when we're recording. So, yeah, I think the squad composition definitely has some some question marks, and it sounds like you think that really that there are some question marks around just how good this Chelsea squad will be heading into next season. Yeah, I think my biggest question mark um, is Jorginho going into next season just because he was somebody who was like just so kind of aligned with the previous manager um, that I wonder, I just kind of wonder what happens to him now. Is he still like, was he just too much of a, of a system guy for what they were doing previously uh, where now he could be maybe replaceable in a way that you wouldn't have thought uh, a year ago. So someone like him, I'm just like, I'm very intrigued by heading into the season. Yeah, we've seen in preseason so far that when we do this 4-2-3-1 and have a little bit of a pivot in the back, that Jorginho, when he's not man-marked for you know 60% of the game by someone like Suzuko, um, that he can get the work done, and especially when he's not being asked to just pass it on the ground and he can kind of play it directly forward and not have to play it to the wings, can do some damage. I mean, he's one... One assist in preseason more than the entirety of all last season. So that right there is promising enough to to be a little excited, Nick, about what we might see from Jorginho this year. Yeah, I, th- I think that's an interesting call out because specifically this week, you know, I think there's been a lot of press around him and what his role might be in a double pivot instead of in a midfield three and, you know, his attitude. And I don't know, I, I, I think he's saying and doing all the right things right now and, you know, Lord knows that we need the depth, so uh, happy to have him uh, for sure. Um, beyond, you know, I think beyond the, tr- the 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 transfer ban and everything like that, anything that you're kind of you know holistic opinion on Chelsea this year that you want to you know kind of get in before we move on to projecting the season. Uh, well, for well, the la- actually the last thing that I wanted to ask about or talk to you guys about with the outsider's view of Chelsea was. So last year, JJ and I on Caught Offside, we talked a lot about um, the way their the way Chelsea's season was perceived, and how it felt like there was just such a dark cloud that hung over their season, and mo- certain moments were pinpointed, like you know Kepa refusing to come off, um, and Sari like storming down the tunnel, like just moments like that just felt like that they were so front and center in terms of how people perceived what that season was for Chelsea. And then here we are like at the end of the year, you know, a Europa league title runners up to only man city in a league cup that you just barely lost third place. I mean, in the league, which again, by Chelsea standards, maybe that's not good enough, but in looking at man city and Liverpool, I don't think 
I don't think anyone would have really thought going into last season that Chelsea or anybody was probably going to crack the Liverpool City grip at the top of the table. So like we look, JJ and I looked at it at the end and we're like, yeah, this was actually like Maurizio Sarri was not the disaster at Chelsea that I think sometimes uh, our mind kind of plays tricks on us and leads us to believe that he was. Now that's our, like I said, that's our outsider opinion of Chelsea. Were we right? Like did Chelsea fans look at last season like it was a disaster and sorry, we'll, we'll live on as a punchline in the mind of, of Chelsea supporters for years to come? Or did that Europa League title kind of change all that for you? Uh, I, I mean, I think that when we did our end of season review, we kind of rated our season a seven ish, maybe a 7.5 if we were doing half. Um, it, it just, there were so many emotional ups and downs and not in like a, you know, a good way. You know, I think your, your run to the Champions League final was a, you know, whether it was healthy or not, it's a whole different question, but at least it was a good up and down. Ours seemed like a lot of self-inflicted wounds for the most part. And, you know, while we did come away with the trophy and while we're really happy about that, and I think set us up for success heading into this year, it's just really kind of tough uh, to say, you know, if, if sorry, we're stuck around this year, Dan, like what, what might've happened without the ability to, to bring in new players? <sighs> yeah. His, uh, his squad rotation would be really, really stretched heading into next season. And uh, maybe would have never signed Calum Hudson, Adoy potentially to the rumored upcoming extension. Other players like Mason Mount might have not found their way into the side. So yeah, I think to, when we look at the whole collective element of the supporters, they're just never the way there was with Antonio Conte when he came in, Mourinho one or two, you know, Ancelotti. There, there was no good relationship between the supporters and Sari, and I think that's where a lot of the fracturing came to. Is that yes, he came to do a job, he did a job, which was win a trophy and end up putting the right results in place to get us third in the table, but it didn't look like that was going to happen at points in time. And, you know, I think when we look at it and actually pull back the layers and say Tottenham had some terrible form at the end of the season, which allowed us to buffer our way into third place, even with a little bit of challenges. And we don't necessarily feel like we had maybe the third best side at times. So yeah, I think, we would grade it maybe on a harder scale because the expectations at Chelsea are to go out and win, uh, to put titles in the cabinet, not to just get a, a position on the table. And so you know, I think maybe we've been conditioned to be more critical of these things, but it was not my favorite season watching Chelsea. It was the one at the end of the day where you kind of were happy sometimes that the match was over or, you know, the... And that was never, that's not ever how I want to be enjoying watching, you know, my favorite team. I want to be, you know, even in loss, I want to be, you know what, like we still went out and put out a good performance. And, you know, at a certain point when you're at the 50th, 60th pass, you know, in a row, you're kind of wondering, like, when are we going to ever try to move this ball into the box and actually try to score? Yeah, well, I'll definitely miss the Barkley for Kovacic substitutions. Yeah, that uh, that was great. I went to go take a sip of water and uh, almost spilled it on my keyboard because that was, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> it, it, it's an in-memoriam type of moment, you know? I think we have to... We'll look back fondly on those days and, and just hope we never see him again. You know, that's <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get in and wrap this up with some season projections. So if you're looking at Spurs, you're looking at the season ahead. Where do you finish in the league table at the end of the season? 38 matches in. Uh, I'm going to say third. Feel pretty good about that. It's a pretty safe bet. Um yeah, one and two probably should not be in the equation, but uh, I, I appreciate your realism in this scenario. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's it's kind of between, I don't know, I, I feel like it might still be between you and me in terms of, like, Chelsea and Tottenham for that third spot, because I just, I just don't really think all that much of Arsenal right now. I'm not saying that they won't contend for it, but I, I still think it could be... Tottenham and Chelsea battling for that, but I think Tottenham move a little bit ahead. Okay. So uh, two domestic trophies up for grabs, an FA Cup and a League Cup. Do Spurs win zero, one, or both? Uh, I will say one. I think they do it. 
Um, I will say the League Cup, not the FA Cup, because baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just get the League Cup first, and then we'll worry about other things. So, yeah, I'll say, uh, I don't know, FA Cup. Let's say they get to, like, I'll say the semis. That seems, that's, seems to be a fun spot where they like to go out of that competition. Uh, but the League Cup, I think they're going to do it. I really do. All right. Well, that would be one to definitely put a bet on because I'm sure the odds would definitely be. If you if you believe it, you probably should be betting on that one. Now, now look, J- JJ comes on the show a couple days ago. Can I and- guess the things that he said? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, you could guess all of them, uh, but but specifically the next one is what I want to talk to you about since it's probably the uh, the most fresh in your mind. He thinks Liverpool could very well go to their third straight Champions League final this year, uh, which I guess is possible, um, although I say that vomiting in my mouth. Um, what What is your prediction for the Champions League? You guys are off of your best ever performance in the, in the tournament. What What's going to happen with you guys in the Champions League this year? So I, uh, how honest do I want to be here? I do not think that we will get back to the final i don't think that that's too much like self-hate i think that i'm trying to be realistic here and objective i think it could still be successful um you know i would say i'd be i would love another run to the semifinal. i think maybe if i was actually making like a true i don't know i'll say i'll say the semifinal. but honestly like the, the champions league is it's like almost impossible to predict pre groups being announced and pre like knowing like once you get out of the group what the draw will potentially yield. So much of it is just like circumstance and like who you wind up facing. I mean, I said not this year, but the year before um, that Liverpool had a Europa League draw all the way to the title against Real Madrid essentially when they lost. I know that's a little bit of like exaggeration. They some of those teams were decent, but like it was not like they had a nice pathway paved for them to get to that final. So who knows if things can break that way for you, but that's hard to predict. And just on the on their squad alone, Tottenham, I don't think I'd be I'd just be really surprised that they were able to get back to where they were last year. So I'll say quarters or semis. Semis would be amazing. Quarters I think would be appropriate. All right. So End of the season, regardless of results, who ends up being the best player or the player of the season for Spurs? Um, I love him. I The goal he scored in the uh, ICC the other day against Juventus was probably <laughs> one of the only things that could make me yell and scream in a preseason friendly. So I will go with the, non, the not really exciting outside-of-the-box answer. I will say Harry Kane. Um, if he's healthy which right now I believe he is, then to me, he's the best player on the team. Um, you know, he'll get, you know, Son will contend for it. Uh, Erickson, if he's back, will contend for it. Um, but I still, I don't know. I still look at Harry Kane and I say, yeah, that's that's our best player. All right. And then you alluded to it a little bit, but where do you think Chelsea finish at the end of the season? So I think you guys are, um, I don't want to speak for you, but I think you would probably... I think you would have to feel like qualifying for the Champions League would be a successful season. Um, I think uh, I think you and Arsenal will really fight for it, uh, and I will I will put you fourth. Wow, it's generous. Okay. Nick, Nick is more down on the season than I am. I am I am no, very no, no, optimistic. No. Nick Nick is not down on the season. No, you're down Nick on is, it. Nick is taking a realistic look at a squad that can't really be improved. Although we've somehow spent more than Arsenal with the transfer ban and and I'm just looking at this thing with all the things that have been said in this show first year or you know second year ever manager but first year back at Chelsea uh, we lost 51% of our total goals I don't see how those are replaced I don't think it's going to be good for us but look those are fair points and I just want to say that for caught offside we have not done our season preview we do three-part season preview every year and we have not done it yet and I I am saying now that I reserve my right to change that opinion. Ooh, okay. Okay. Well, that that's fair. I mean, you know, this is our show. That's your show. Total and utter cop-out, essentially, is what I'm doing here. <laughs> well, we, we wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I mean, that that's the benefit of doing a show that, you know, has maybe only a small amount of listenership uh, share. So, you know, people might, you know, call you out for it, but probably not. Um, 
Yeah, I, I do think I am still very bullish on that. Frank will somehow find a way to Frank and his staff because it's not just about bringing back Lampard. It's bringing it back Jody Morris. It's getting Joe Edwards promoted out of the academy system. It's bringing Eddie Newton back into the fold as a manager or assistant coach. So like all of this positivity around that, I think will carry them into one domestic trophy. And maybe if you're taking the league cup, I'd be more than happy to take the FA cup off your hands and then a top four finish and remaining in the champions league. I don't think we'll do well in the champions league this season, but I think we will do enough to get back there and next summer be able to buy the players that we would need to strengthen the squad heading into the 2020-2021 Premier League season. Yeah, I would say that the one thing for Chelsea that I am least excited about um, is Christian Pulisic playing for you guys because, like I said, I love him and love watching him. And like I want him to succeed every time he steps out onto the field, but I don't want him to do it for you. Like I, I don't know how you guys must have felt when Clint Dempsey was on Tottenham. Like there's this like inner conflict with that. So I hope he does well, and I I want him to score lots of goals, but like lots of maybe lots of like four three losses, and and Pulisic <laughs> like two two goal one assist performances in defeat. Boy, boy. Look, I, I, yeah, I, there's nothing to be said about that. Um, there, there is, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see him adapt to the league, you know, not to go on a huge Pulisic rant, but there is a rite of passage for every player who comes into the Premier League who, you know, didn't get blooded through the championship or, or league one first. I mean, there, you, you have to. You have to size yourself up. You have to see what you're made of. And, you know, the physicality and the speed are going to be something that he's going to have to contend with. I mean, I think he's going to be able to do both and, and figure it out. But uh, it's going to be no picnic. I mean, especially this year. Like, he he's going through probably about the worst situation he'll ever see at Chelsea. So make it through this and we'll see what happens. Well, I think we've done it. We've made it to the end. We have not made a bottle job joke at all. Wait. Oops, Wait, we did oh it. Boy. We did oh it. Boy. Man, boy. we got we got so far into this. But, Andrew, thank you so, so much for taking time with us to talk about Tottenham and the absolute and crazy, absolutely unbelievable and crazy rise that they've had over the last year. And uh, I wish you the worst of luck with that, but the best of luck at everything else in your life. And uh, until we talk again. <laughs> All good, guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. And then from Nick and me, until we talk to you next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>